Our scripture reading today is Genesis 35, 1 through 7, and 9 through 12. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I go. So they have gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. After Jacob returned from Padran Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So they named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give you this land to your descendants after you. This is the word of the Lord for us. Sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward. Sometimes. This is true in sports oftentimes. Like, you don't always just go straight ahead right up the middle. No, sometimes you have to find that teammate that you pass it back to, and you work your plan that way. It's also true in life. So the last sermon series we did, we learned how to forgive. And we understand that unresolved conflict will weigh us down, and will keep us from moving forward into the life that God has for us. So we have to go back in order to reconcile, in order to experience healing and forgiveness before we can move forward. Now, in our spiritual lives, yes, God wants to propel us forward. He has a plan and a mission for us. So he, he calls us into the unknown. He wants to grow us and challenge us. He, he wants to send us out, as we say here at MCA every single week, out on mission. What? To share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. So that's very true. He, he wants to send us out. But I want to say this. We've got to continue to return to him. That we might be refreshed and renewed and reinvigorated as we go out to carry forth his mission. We must never lose touch with our true source of faith, which is Christ. So, a soldier who loses contact with his commander is headed for trouble. If that happens, he's cut off from information. He doesn't know what the strategy and tactic is. He's cut off from supplies and resources. He's cut off from his directions. In a remarkable story, this is exactly what happened to Hiro Onoda in World War II. So Hiro is a soldier in the Japanese army. He gets sent from Japan with his platoon, with his group, to the Philippines in 1944. So they're stationed there. They set up camp there. But then the Allied forces come to the island, and they take it back. And all of the others were either killed or captured. But this lone man, Onoda... And he went into the jungle, and he maintained his post all alone, all by himself, year after year. This guy stayed alert. He stayed vigilant. The war, of course, ended the next year in 1945, but he didn't know. 
It was presumed that this gentleman had perished, but remarkably, he lived and survived for almost 30 years. It wasn't until in the 1970s that he was discovered, (laughs) he was found, he came back home to Japan. Like, this was a guy who for decades was fighting a war that was over. Why? Because he lost contact with his home base. And so this morning, as we turn to the scriptures, we are going to be closing out a sermon series in the life of Jacob. And we're going to see in today's story from Genesis 35, Jacob returning back. So he goes back to his roots. He goes back to his father. He goes back to Bethel where he met the Lord. He goes back to God's ways and God's promises. And there's a great challenge and encouragement there for each and every one of us this morning. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. My name is John Reisner. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. I am thrilled that you're with us this morning. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So as I said, we are finishing up a sermon series in the life of Jacob. And there's one word that best describes or characterizes the life of Jacob. Can anyone tell me what that is? It's dysfunctional. (laughs) It's dysfunctional. From in utero, in his mother's womb, when he's wrestling with his brother Esau, he has dysfunction. And so I don't have time to recap all of what happened, and I suspect there are even stories that we don't know of, but he tricks his brother Esau. He swindles his brother Esau out of his birthright. He, He then lies and deceives and tricks his father Isaac into thinking he's Esau and steals the firstborn's blessing. He flees from home. He spends 20 years kind of uh, uh, at odds with his uncle Laban. And then he returns. And that's where we were last week as, as Jacob and Esau came face to face after 20 years of being apart. But here's what I want to point out as we think um, almost as, as, of Jacob's life as, as a whole. And again, the word that describes it best is dysfunction. Like he's a guy who you could, you could really point out a lot of mistakes he made. You could really beat up a guy like Jacob and say, why did he do this? Doesn't he know that's wrong? Doesn't he know that his uh, life and relationships and family are going to fall apart if he does this? But here's the thing. Even though Jacob messed up so badly, God was not done with him. God calls Jacob back to himself. That's what we're going to see this morning. He calls Jacob again, go to Bethel which means house of God. Come to worship. Come back to me as your Lord. He calls him back to this place where he met him face to face. And and Jacob listens to that call. Uh, So we did that story as well. The, The stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Jacob uses a stone as his pillow. It was in that place where God spoke to him in Bethel. It was when he was fleeing his home and he was going sort of into the unknown. But now it's time to return. So after his Uh, meeting with Esau, where Esau forgives him, which is awesome. He doesn't go to Bethel. He goes to a place called Shechem. He lives among the pagan people there. Um, His daughter, Dinah, is then brutalized. This is in chapter 34 of Genesis. We are skipping it because it is very hard R-rated. His sons then set out on this violent course of vengeance. And what happens is Jacob and his family become a stench, in his words, to the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. 
Jacob also allowed false gods to be in his house. And he still hasn't come back to Bethel, as God had told him. Even when he was all the way in Padan Aram, that is with uh, Uncle Laban, God had told him, go back to Bethel. He didn't quite make it back to Bethel. But in all of that, God didn't give up on him. And God doesn't give up on us either. He forgives us when we make mistakes. Even when we do these, these foolish things, these dysfunctional things, these disobedient things, God doesn't give up on us. He forgives us. He restores us. He is patient with us. Praise God. And he invites us again and again and again. And that's what we're going to see in this morning's passage when we come to Genesis chapter 35. So I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. If so, please pull it out. Turn to Genesis chapter 35. An invitation yet again from God to the dysfunctional Jacob. And he says in no uncertain terms... Jacob, go to Bethel. So let's start in verse 1, Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Now, it just so happens this is a very welcome idea to Jacob at this particular time. Like, just like everywhere else Jacob has ever lived... Things have turned out badly. Things have soured. And so again, that's what has happened in Shechem based on the events of chapter 34. So things have soured. He wants to leave that place. And so the Lord meets him and invites him to come back to Bethel. So verse 2, so Jacob and said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. And purify yourselves and change your clothes and then come, let us go to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And so Jacob does indeed make plans. It's time to go to Bethel. It's time to meet with God. But you notice first he says, hey guys, this is to his, his wives. He has two wives and two uh, concubines or the, the servants of his wives. Uh, he's got children, he's got manservants and maidservants. It's time to get rid of all the baggage and all the idols that we've picked up along the way. The last 20 years of accumulation, it's time to unload. In verse 4, they do so. So they gave Jacob all of the foreign gods they had, the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. So apparently they were wearing jewelry that was connected to false gods, like probably little charms that were supposed to bring good luck or that were supposed to appease some deity or supposed to help them in some way. And Jacob makes this really clear. It's time to get rid of these idols. It's time. We're not, we're not going to have anything to do with these anymore. Like it, it is time for us, for me and my house, Jacob is saying, to trust in the Lord and to trust in the Lord alone. And the Lord watches over Jacob. Verse 5. They set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. See, they were actually a small little clan. The, the groups that were there had been established for a long time and would have been larger and more prepared for um, attack. And so they were very susceptible. And again, they had become a stench to the people in that area. Like, hey, we want to take these guys out. And yet we see here... When they get rid of the other gods and the other idols and the charms that are supposed to give them good luck, and they say, we're going to trust in the Lord, 
He comes through. He protects them. He cares for them in a way that no other God could. Verse 6. So we're in Genesis chapter 35. It says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Jacob has returned. He has come back finally to this place, this house of God, this place where he met with God and God has seen him through it all. And it's there that he builds an altar and he begins to worship. Remember, we did a study in the life of Abraham and that's just what he did. All the places Abraham went and he's building altars. He's sort of leaving a trail. You could probably tell, oh, Abraham has come through this area. There's an altar here to Yahweh, to the one true God. And Jacob does just like his grandfather. So we see this beautiful story of a man who returns. He returns to the Lord. And friends, I want to challenge each and every one of us to do the same thing today. To return to the Lord. So we're going to keep walking through this story, and we're going to see three ways that we can do that. How do we return to the Lord? And it begins with returning to his ways. So God had called him very specifically to go back to Bethel. So he comes all the way back from Padanaram. Remember, I think it was last week I brought a map of this. I should have brought it again this morning. But he come, it's a 500-mile journey. He comes almost all the way back. He has the, uh, the uh, encounter with Esau where he's unsure if he's going to be killed or survive. Esau forgives him. He's 15 miles away from Bethel. But he pitches his tent outside the city of Shechem. He's, he's that close. Now, Shechem is a crossroads, so lots of traffic there, lots of trade there, lots of commerce there. Uh, Jacob, we know at this point, is he's a wealthy man, but you wonder if Shechem would have been a likely site for him to continue to accumulate wealth and to continue to pursue his business, continue to associate with the people of that region. Oh, yes, the pagan people of that region. Sure, he built an altar there, in Shechem, but it's almost like in in this season of his life, Jacob was trying to live for the Lord, but also be in the world at the same time. And it tore his family apart. Like God had called him, here's what you're supposed to do, and it's go to Bethel. But he didn't go to Bethel. He went most of the way to Bethel. And I think we do the same thing, don't we? Where we, like, sort of obey God. Where we, like, do mostly the things that sort of externally look like the right Christian good thing to do. But in our hearts, God has called us to this certain thing and we fall short of it. Like, and then we rationalize our decisions. Well, here's the reason why I didn't do that. Here's why I did this. Or, or we make excuses for our own spiritual weakness. Well, you'll never believe what they did to me. You'll never believe the circumstances that I found myself in. Or the times where we've really even just walked away from God thinking, I'll go back when I'm ready. Not knowing the grave consequences that will follow disobedience. And that's what Jacob does here. When, when he fails to go to Bethel initially, when he, when he pitches his tent in Shechem. 
And then it, this is just shocking. It's sobering. It's amazing. It is heart-wrenching. It is shameful to think that Jacob has gods, has idols, has these, these false uh, items of worship in his household. Like, don't you remember the, in Genesis chapter 28 when the Lord comes to him and says who he is and Jacob says, okay, Lord, if you're going to do that, if you're going to see me on this journey, if you'll go with me, Jacob, if you'll remember there, he even specifically asks God for food and clothing and shelter. Like, so God, if you're going to bless me with food and clothing and shelter and you're going to see me on this journey and you see me return home, then I'll worship you and I'll serve you. And he specifically says, I'll give you a tenth of everything I have. Remember that? And God keeps his end of the bargain. He, he blesses Jacob with hundreds, with thousands of camels and donkeys and cattle and sheep and goats. Ch- Twelve children. Like, he has blessed him tremendously. And so it is shameful as we get to this portion and we realize this family, this man allowed false gods and idols to be in his house. Was he the one who procured them and who worshipped them? Uh, we don't know. You could probably build a case for, you know, uh, the one wife, Rachel, stole Laban's God. So maybe it was her. Maybe it was some other people. But here's the thing. He allowed it. It crept into his home and he didn't put his foot down to say, no, 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 not here. Because I have taken a vow to Yahweh. That's the God of Abraham and Isaac, grandpa and dad who chose us, who, who has these great promises to us. And so we're going to worship him. We're going to worship him alone. Jacob failed to do that. He allowed these things into his life. And I just wonder, what have we allowed to creep into our lives? Are there idols that you have brought in or that your family members have brought in that it's time to say, not in my house. This comes to an end today. Hand them over. And I'm going to bury them. And they're going to be done. Do not allow that sort of darkness into your lives, into your homes. Keep following God's ways. There's an old African proverb that says, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. (laughs) That's what Jacob did here during this time in Shechem. He tried to walk both roads. You know, I'm, I'm pretty close to Bethel. I'm 15 miles away. Or I'm in Shechem, but I built an altar here. Uh, we have these gods that, that my family worships and, and enjoys having, but we also worship Yahweh. He's like the man tried to walk two roads, and we know what happens when, when he does that. You can't walk two roads. Jesus is pretty clear on that in the New Testament. When he says, you can't serve two masters. You've got to choose. Are you going to live for the pleasures of the world? In which case, that's all you're going to get. Or are you going to live for Christ? In which case, heaven and eternity awaits you. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus brings a pretty harsh rebuke. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus. Let's look at these verses from Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5. He says to this church, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. And we, in which we go, man, he, it's written to Ephesus, but it sounds like it's written to Anabaptists. <laughs> we work hard. We don't tolerate this kind of wickedness. He says, you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. You found them to be false. He says, you've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. So he's kind of building them up here. 
These things you've done well. Verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. And Jesus says, repent. He says, do the things you did at first. And so maybe in your own spiritual walk, you can identify with this. I was once on fire for Christ. And energized and enthusiastic about his word and about being on mission for him. But all of a sudden, it seems like it's grown cold. Maybe you need to go back to your Bethel. Maybe you need to go back to, God, what are your ways? And I'm going to obey them. Ask the Lord to rekindle your love for him. So how do we return to the Lord? We return to his ways. Secondly, we return to his promises. See, because when you listen for the voice of God, you will hear His enduring promises. You will hear of his amazing love for you. That's what, that's what God does here in the encounter with Jacob. So let's keep reading. So we're Genesis 35 going on to verse nine. It says, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel. We talked about that last week, how Israel means the one who strives with God. Or even maybe perhaps it means the God-mastered man, the person who has fully submitted to God. Because when you wrestle with God, you're not going to win. It's interesting here. The Lord reminds Jacob of his new name, of his new identity, of the nation he will become as we read on into verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. So you see, Jacob's identity is rooted in the identity of God. Same for you and I. We know who we are in Christ because of who God is. He says, be fruitful, increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and I'll give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at a place where he had talked with them. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with them. And he poured out a drink offering on it and he poured out oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel, the house of God. He drew near to the Lord. And what did he hear? God's promises. God's reminders of who God is, of who God has called him to be, and what God is going to do. God had told Jacob these things before. Like, this is not news to Jacob. And again, uh, Abraham died when Jacob was 15 years old. So he had spent time hearing from grandpa, hearing from dad. God chose us. God's going to do something special through our family line. Jacob had heard these things before, but it sure seems like he had forgotten them. He'd really been pursuing the wrong things. But it's when he comes back to God, it's when he returns, that God reminds him that God speaks again these promises. It's like God is saying, listen, I haven't forgotten my promises, even if you have. I have not forgotten my promises. And that's what God will do for you when you return to him. He will remind you of those promises. He, he remains committed to them, and he invites us as well. So like in 2 Timothy 2.13, the scriptures say, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Even in the times where we forget God, he never forgets us. When we leave, he longs for us to return to him. Why? Because he wants to bless us. 
That's what he did here for Jacob. He blessed him. He didn't chastise him. He didn't say, how dare you? He didn't say, I'm going to zap you. He says, go to Bethel. And when Jacob does, he walks in obedience. He returns to God's ways. What does God do? He reassures him of his promises. He encourages him. He infuses Jacob with a blessing, with saying, I've not given up on you. You forgot about me, but I've been here the whole time. You've forgotten what I said I would do, but I haven't forgotten, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to protect you and your family, and from you is going to come this beautiful, amazing nation. And church, we know that that is the lineage of Jesus Christ. That when God said to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your offspring, he's talking about his master plan of salvation, whereby the Savior would come, fully God, fully man. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. So we return to the Lord. We go back to his ways. We're going to walk the way you tell us to walk. We hear again his promises. And there's a third way that we return. Coming back to the Lord means that we return to his strength. This is amazing as I studied for the sermon this week, because this is something the Lord put on my heart like a few years ago for our church family. It's something that I pray so often for our church family. It's something that I say to you each and every Sunday, week in and week out. I'm praying that your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. The Lord has put that on my heart. He has called me to do that. Pray for their hearts and homes to be strengthened by me and by the gospel. And you wonder, well, why is that? Why is it that when you return to the Lord, he renews your strength? Well, very simply put, life can be hard. Life can knock you down. Life can discourage you and leave you battered and bruised and confused and wondering. And you can respond to those things with poor me. Look how bad I have it. Why does this have to happen to me? You can respond with bitterness. You can become a person who's angry, who's angry at the world and angry at God and angry at everything around you. You can respond with apathy. A lot of people I, I talk to and see in our world today, they've responded that way to say, yeah, who cares? Like, why does anything even matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Because God has a mission for you. That's why it matters. That's why God wants to strengthen you is because he has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has uniquely placed you in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, in your network. He has put you there because he has a mission for you and he wants to strengthen you to accomplish it. And so if your faith is strong, when life's sorrows and challenges arise, you face it with confidence because you have a life firmly rooted in Christ. So if you return to the Lord, you will find the strength to overcome whatever life throws your way. In Genesis chapter 35, as Jacob returns and you go, yay, he did it. He came home. Finally, he went to Bethel where God told him to go. Genesis 35 has three funerals. One is Rebecca. I'm sorry, not Rebecca. It's Deborah. And she is like the uh, nurse, uh, scriptures call her, of Rebecca. So we assume she was like a very close part of the household and family friend. That's in verse uh, 8 that Deborah dies. In verse 16, it's Jacob's dear wife, Rachel, that dies. In fact, let, let's turn there and read Genesis 35, 16. Uh, they moved on from Bethel while there was some distance from uh, Ephrath. Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid for you have another son. And as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. 
Benoni means son of my sorrow. Kind of appears that Rachel was the kind of person who took that bitter route. Like, life stinks. My sister and these other people, and now I'm dying. So she names him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. But his father, that's Jacob, he named him Benjamin. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. Literally, son of my right hand. Figuratively, what that meant is son of my strength. As a sign of my power. As a sign of what I can do. As a sign of what God can do through me. This child has come. So we've got the funeral of Deborah. We've got the funeral of Rachel. And then we see in verse 29. So this is at the very bottom. The, the last verse in chapter 35. It's Jacob's father Isaac. Who breathes his last. In fact, let's look there. These are the final words of the chapter where it says, Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. And check this out. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. I'll say this. There's really not like a ribbon to to put a, a nice pretty bow to put on the life of Jacob. It's just dysfunctional. But this is probably the closest thing that there is to putting a bow or a ribbon on the life of Jacob to say, wow. After all of that, you have this beautiful scene of the two boys, Jacob and Esau, side by side, burying their father who was old, who had lived a good life, and they bless him and their family as they peacefully bury their father. But what I'm pointing out is the strength that Jacob has, because these are huge losses. When you lose a spouse, when you lose a parent, those are huge losses. And so listen, when you return to the Lord, he he doesn't exempt you from sorrow. Like these are things that are painful in the life of Jacob. These are things that are painful in our lives, and, and you've experienced it as well. When you grieve the loss of a loved one or when something else challenging happens in life. But you see, it's in the midst of that sorrow that Jacob finds strength. And he rests in God's promises. And he even has hope for a glorious future. That death is not the end of the story for the believer in Christ. It is not the end of the story. It's only the beginning of all God has promised for us. And actually, you want to see something really cool here? Look at verse 19, where it talks about the death of his his dearly beloved favorite, Rachel. Where it says, she died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. And then look at that little uh, parenthetical note there. That is Bethlehem. And over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, the pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Here is a pillar of hope. Yes, it's a a marker of death, but it's a pillar of hope. And it's in Bethlehem, the place where our Lord would enter this world as a tiny baby laid in a manger. His mother's going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. So again, coming back to the Lord, returning to him, doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from sorrow and pain. What it means is you are going to have the strength to face tomorrow. Why? Because you have a sure and certain hope for the future because of God's promises. So as we conclude the life of Jacob, this is a great way to do it. Because he, he heard God's call here in Genesis 35.1. He heard God's call to go back to Bethel, and he does. And it's in that place, in the house of God, that he rededicates his life. And maybe today, you're far from God. Maybe you're in that Shechem place of, you're, you're 15 miles away from God's will. You kind of went most of the way, but not all the way. 
Maybe you've had experiences with God in the past where you felt close to him, where you were on fire for Christ. But as the years have gone by, you've sort of lost your spiritual fervor. I want you to hear this this morning. It's like, no matter how far you've gone, God invites you to come back to him. He he invites you yet again to say, I haven't forgotten my promises. And I've got a mission for you. I've got a plan for you. Is the Lord calling you back to himself today? Are you willing to listen? Maybe even right now in the stillness of your own heart, are you willing to listen to say, Lord, are you calling me back to yourself? Lord, are there idols in my life that I need to bury today? And say, no more. I'm done with this. Jacob also, you notice there, told his family, purify yourselves. I don't think he was just talking about an outward purity there. I think he was talking about the heart. As you listen to the Lord today, is he saying, it's time to purify yourself. It's time to allow me to work in your life. Is the Lord saying to you, why haven't you taken the step of baptism in your faith journey? You know, we've got the tank set up today. (laughs) We can leave it set up. Maybe next Sunday you want to be baptized. Are you willing to listen to what the Lord is calling you to do today and return to him, to walk in his ways, to hear again his promises, to be strengthened by him? No matter how bad we've messed up, praise God. He welcomes us back to himself. He desires for us to be with him forever. He is so passionate about having a relationship with us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die a gruesome death on a cross. On the third day, he rose to new life, conquering sin and death. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be in relationship with God. So if you've wandered, if you've not gone all the way, I want you to hear today the invitation from the Lord who says, come back. Because sometimes in life you have to go back before you can go forward. Just like Jacob, who came back to the Lord. Is it time for you to come back to that that place in your heart where you first met with God? Will you return to him? Will you embrace his ways and his promises and let the joy of the Lord be your strength? Let's pray together. Oh, good and gracious God. How we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your faithfulness. How we thank you for your promises that are rooted in who you are. And so, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we avail ourselves to you. Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying. Give us spirits willing to live it out in radical obedience. Give us a clear mind so we can set today our affection only on you, no longer serving two masters, but giving you that place. First priority. Choosing you as master, as Lord, as ruler over our lives. So we choose to submit to you today. Grateful for who you are, for what you're doing, and for what you have in store. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We pray that you would continue to infuse hope 
into our lives as we face tomorrow in its uncertainties. All for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.